0: It's going right here right now this is new generation declassified not move my chair there and you're listening to an all-new new generation declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and every single week we take a journey back in time and we talk about the wwf's new generation we've been having a lot of fun over the last weeks going back and really looking at some cool topics and just Diving into some deep, deep conversation with a myriad of guests and talking about things from top to bottom that uh, just keep on uh, materializing as the weeks have gone on with this show. Uh, But this week, we're going to switch it up a little bit. You're just going to get the Chadster here by himself. Uh, The Chadster feeling a little nasally tonight, so I apologize for uh, any uh, cold sounding It's uh, allergies, so don't worry. I'm uh, I'm feeling just fine. I was out on the ball field and somebody was cutting the grass and it was uh, basically a perfect storm of stuffiness. So we will all bear with this together. Uh, But what I'm basically going to do this week is kind of set it up and uh, reset for the next couple of weeks worth of shows. I got a couple cool ones in mind. Uh, We got some profiles coming on. We've got a a few spotlights that we're going to look at and a couple of house show cards uh, but first, there's one thing I wanted to talk about. And I, uh, I really think that when I kind of suggest things to the listeners and, and if there's something that you haven't seen before or you want to go back and watch or you just you didn't remember, I toggled your memory. This is something I think is uh, going to fit right into that class pretty perfectly. And it was uh, kind of in the vein of the event center. So let's take a journey back to the Federation era. That's pre-1993, pre-new generation years. Uh, the WWF had an event center in the middle of the show. It would kind of run down the house show cards that were in your localized area. Uh, it could be uh, hosted by Sean Mooney. It could be hosted by Craig DeGeorge. It could be hosted by Mean Gene. It could be hosted by Lord Alfred Hayes. It could have been hosted by uh, many different WWF personalities. Uh, but it was called the event center, and it was something you look forward to. It would probably be about segment two, maybe segment three depending on which show you were watching. If you're watching a superstars, they might give you the intro, a match, and then the event center. uh, And then they come back to the event center a little bit later on in the broadcast. But what the broadcast did was it built up whatever your house show local to you was, and it would try to get you to come through the door the classic classic formula of the television helps the house show business the house show business helps the television and everything builds to the pay-per-view well in 1993 instead of going just with the tired old event center name they kind of switched it up a little bit and actually though no, this was still late 92 uh they switched from the event center to something called face to face and that's today's uh little discussion that i have here for you is face to face uh, face-to-face was a game changer and maybe one of the more inventive things they tried to do in the era where everybody tapped out now face-to-face was still in the same vein as the event center it was made for the house shows it was made to kind of get you through the door but what it did was it brought the two superstars together or four superstars or five superstars or six superstars, depending on what the match was. And it gave you both sides of the coin. So rather than if we go back to the event center from the Federation era, you'd say, Oh, we got uh, the Bushwhackers and the Bushwhackers will be taking on the Orient express. But before their match in Boston, let's hear from the men from down under and you cut to the Bushwhackers and they give you a wacky Bushwhacker style promo Uh, you might hear from the Orient Express. They might do just a dissolve or a fade or like a flip, and you'd hear from whomever their opponent was going to be. But most of the time, it goes back to the on-camera. Let's say it was Sean Mooney. I go back to Sean Mooney, and he'd say, all right, we're looking forward to that match, and here's what else is on the card. But what face-to-face did, it kind of eliminated that, and it put them both in front of you, and each person would have about 45 seconds to just kind of get their spiel out and let you know what they think is going to happen in the match and they throw it to the next person and the next person throws it back to Mooney. And then that's the end of the segment. I really liked the face to face. I I always thought it worked really well. I thought that depending on what market you're in and you saw uh, maybe the same format, maybe you saw the same matches. I I thought, especially growing up in the New York area, it, it was awesome. And it really did help build the different cards. And we had the Nassau Coliseum. We had, the uh, Meadowlands, we had the Madison Square Garden shows, we'd even sometimes hear about Philly, sometimes hear about Boston, sometimes hear about Providence, sometimes hear about Hartford, we'd hear about those those Connecticut towns, um, but you would basically reference the other matches going on, so yeah, they're in Boston tonight, but next week they're at the Garden, Uh, so don't forget, in Boston, the bell time's at 2 o'clock, and the Macho Man takes on Crush, and here they are right in front of us. And they would kind of gimmick it up. They'd say the Macho Man's in Sarasota, Florida and Crush is in Hawaii. And they'd basically just be both standing in front of a plain curtain. And it looked kind of cheesy a little bit, but you got the idea. It, it was basically they were always standing in front of the same backdrop or they'd have a mock sound stage behind them. Um, I, they did go as far sometimes to put where they were at the bottom of the screen, but that did not last very long. Uh, but this segment lasted over a year, it, almost into 1994. Uh, it was a huge part of the 1993 WWF television model. And I think it was really good. I think it, it worked. I think it, it really helped push the angles and it helped sell the tickets. And you can go and look for these on YouTube. There's a ton of them available. And they took them off the shows. They ripped them from the shows and they put them on there. And you get to see the different markets. And one of the things that I really have enjoyed the most of doing this show is talking to folks from different areas. I could tell you about everything having to do with the Northeast. I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I remember seeing these uh, shows over and over. I could tell you everything about it. We've talked to fans from Chicago. We have talked to fans from L.A. We have talked to fans from Florida. We have talked to fans from the UK. We have talked to fans from Australia. We have talked to fans from everywhere you could possibly imagine now. And we've gotten an idea of what it was like and what this face-to-face did. It could be used in any place they were going to go. And that's when you go on YouTube and you check it out. And we I don't think, if I was going to be off the top of my head, I don't think we've had, oh no, we had a Canadian guest, but he was talking about uh, trading cards. There's even French-Canadian face-to-face uh, clips on youtube hosted by ray Rougeau that are completely in french and they would kind of go out of their way to either have rick Martel as a guest or the quebecers as a guest or if it was building up something like wrestlemania they would have ray Rougeau ask the questions in both english and french but still just going to show you that this translated well to the foreign markets and they were able to put a different language track over them and sell house show tickets or, or pay-per-view tickets with the same model. Now it would be the same thing as the event center. They'd swap out the hosts. You could get a mean gene. You could get a uh, uh, Ray Rougeau. Like I said, he did the American broadcast as well. Uh, you could also get Sean Mooney before he left, or you could get um, some of the other smaller hosts. Uh, I don't think they ever had Todd Pettengill sit in, but Jim Ross really got a big opportunity and kind of his first, uh breakout with the WWF doing the face-to-face uh, interviews. And JR, you know, at a time where we've come to learn, was a little bit rough for him in the transition over from WCW. Uh, obviously, debut at WrestleMania 9, but when he was doing these face-to-face, it was kind of like he was on like a lesser-announced team, and it was almost like they had nothing for him. So I yeah, just throw him in the face-to-face studio, and there you go. And now my time working at the WWE... I know the studio that they film these in and it could be interchangeable, but essentially it's the same set they've used for, for everything a million and a half times. Uh, But this was more of a colorful backdrop with a a studio desk, the person sitting in the middle. And then I, I don't know the magic on how they put these together. uh, What rooms they were standing in. I'm going to just safely assume uh, they were either all at the Titan Studios in Connecticut, or if they were doing these in a uh, a backstage area, they just had the backdrops that they would kind of move in and out. Uh, not really having the information on that, you know, being what it is, that's just my guess. And knowing the TV magic side of it, uh, they make it look the same every time. And it, and I'm not just talking about when they would roll the locker room backdrop. in. this is you know uh, sequency. Uh, you know, backdrops or uh, colorful studio-looking backdrops. Uh, again, it's it's WWF programming, so you know it's going to be polished. You know it's going to be perfect, Um, and, and these are really good, and, and I've just always been such a fan of them because you get to see those 35 to 45-second uh, clips of these, these performers uh, doing what they do best, and either if it's ad-libbing or if it is a script that they're following, you know, they they basically do the ABCs for you in 45 seconds, and this is what I'm gonna do. This is who I'm facing. I'm gonna win, and I'm gonna show you. And you better be at the arena. And at that point, you're going, yeah, I gotta get there. I gotta convince my dad to take me to this, or I gotta convince uh, you know my my mom or whomever would take me to do this to the shows. I gotta convince them to bring me to the to the Boston Garden because. I'm never going to see Marty Jannetty versus IRS if I don't go in person. And they made every match feel important. And when I talk about looking at programming down the road and I talk about house shows, you know, I'm following some of these face to face interviews and I'm saying, okay, I got to go look up that show. Or, okay. I got to look up that show because you kind of buy into it and, and you can maybe go, we've talked about fan cams before on the airwaves, but you know, it's something uh, maybe as far as just reading results and saying to yourself, man, I wish I could have been there because they're never going to broadcast this again. I'm never going to see this collection of matches. And the only way I'll know that they happened is uh, if I find a website that has results from uh, whether it was PWI or, you know, somebody has the program from that night, but these face to face, uh chronicles that they had on the weekly programming is the only window you have into those matches and that's pretty remarkable but that's the beauty again of WWF television at the time and and not to to kind of shit on any of the other uh products WCW or ECW at that point wasn't really uh polished but You know, WCW was not focusing on house shows. I mean, their house shows drew 300 to 400 people at these remote, crazy small uh, high school gyms or small little convention centers or uh, amphitheaters or, uh, you know, VFW Hall, like very small venues that they would run in the uh, the mid-90s, the 92, 93, 94 era where the WWF was still going. Two big arenas. They were still going to the Boston Garden, Madison Square Garden, and uh, Miami, uh, the the big arena down there it's, escapes me, but it was called at the time. And they always were at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, or they would go out to the L.A. Forum. Like they still ran big buildings in WCW when they were doing house shows. For the most part, was doing way, way small, remote, out of the way uh, house show cards. And look at what WWF is doing to promote it. And WCW would say, oh, you know, we're traveling to Macon, Georgia. We'll be there on, uh, you know, July 25th. Whereas you go to the event center or you go to the face-to-face room and you're getting the whole thing. You get the whole card. It's going to be Mr. Hughes and Giant Gonzalez against The Undertaker and The Macho Man. And Shawn Michaels is going to take on Razor Ramon. And Diesel's going to face Virgil and all these crazy random matches that they would have it would draw you in and you would really want to be there because you weren't going to see it on television. You know how the superstars or challenge was at the time you got job matches. You didn't get big guy versus big guy or name versus name. You got a, a legit squash match of here's diesel jackknife. One, two, three it's over. Here's razor Ramon. Couple of punches, sack of shit, throw razor's edge matches over. That was it. That was it. And a lot of times with the face to face, you didn't always get the champ. You got a lot of the lesser feuds because you were going to buy the ticket for the championship match. And you would see, you know, Bret Hart and Yokozuna on there, but a lot of times it was focused on the undercard. And I like that. I like that part of it because it was showing that those guys on the undercard had that personality and had those, uh, chops to to hold the segment like that. We know Bret Hart can come up to the mic and tell us why he's the best there is, best there was, and best there ever will be. We know we're going to hear Jim Cornette uh, do a whole diatribe about Yokozuna, and he's going to step up and say Banzai. We already know that, but I want to know why do I have to go see you know uh, Owen Hart uh, and Jim Neidhart versus the Bulldog and and Lex Luger? Why do I have to see that? Tell me why, and then you get both sides of the coin. And and that's what I love about this. And there's, like I said, so many choices, just a quick YouTube search. I mean, it is out of this world, how much stuff there is, uh, for the face to face that people have ripped and, and uploaded to YouTube. I mean, just look, I mean, I'll just read a couple to you off the top of the search, uh, face to face here from, from, North of the border, Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji. Can't imagine what that's going to be like. Also, Harvey Whippleman and Quang. I mean, these are guys that didn't get microphone time uh, for the most part, but you get to see them on a face to face. Um, Here's another one, another Macho Man and Crush, another French exclusive. I mean, this is stuff you've never seen before and it's just sitting there waiting for you on YouTube. Uh, Let's see. Here's another great one. How about uh, face to face? Come on. Razor Ramon and Doink. I mean, who doesn't want to see Razor Ramon and Doink on a face-to-face? That's not a match you're getting on TV. That's a house show only. But actually, it's also a window into uh, one of the topics I want to talk about here in a couple of minutes and a little bit of a preview for what we're going to have in a few weeks here down the road. Can't give you an exact date because I don't uh, like to promise stuff until it comes to pass. We have an outline. We just don't have a date set for a, uh, a future show. But bookmark this last one, this Razor Ramon and Doink. Uh, face-to-face. We're going to come back to that in a second. Um, Paul Bearer versus Jim Cornette and uh, Mr. Fuji. A- a macho Man and Yoko Zuna. I mean, come on. Look at it. A macho Man and Adam Bomb. Where were you going to see Macho Man and Adam Bomb? Okay, you had to go to a house show. They were not putting that on television. This is the kind of stuff, folks, that why I created this show. It's to bring to light the stuff that was forgotten. And for the years that this company is basically shit on, from 93 to early 97, if you're a hardcore fan, if you're a historian, if you're somebody who just kind of is dying for wrestling content but not satisfied with what's out there now, all you got to do is find stuff you've never seen before. And for these face-to-face things, just type in WWF face-to-face on YouTube and, and have a day. There's so much stuff on here. Here's another another Macho Man Yokozuna, another Macho Man and Crush, Diesel and Razor Moan, Macho Man and Mr. Hughes, You see what they're trying to push. They're pushing those upper mid card guys for the most part uh, and getting the macho man on there because the macho man didn't wrestle on television. He was a commentator on TV, but he did still work all the house shows and you wouldn't have known that if you were just a casual fan popping in and hearing him doing commentary. That's all you heard. But on here you get to see he's facing Adam bomb. He's facing Mr. Hughes. He's facing Yokozuna. and, And I watched one of these before I started tonight and the one I watched with the Yokozuna, it, it's almost like it's a callback to one of the first episodes I did by myself in the summer of 2020, where the Macho Man has this impassionate promo about um, his last chance, his last opportunity at, at winning the championship, which is ironic for how long of a career he'd have afterwards. But it's a whole buildup for uh, Crush costing the Macho Man, the, the WWF title at... Uh, a Monday Night Raw versus Yokozuna. Uh, but you see in this, this face-to-face I watched how they're saying Macho Man's going to beat Yokozuna because he's a two-time champion and he has that desire to become a three-time champion. And that's dramatic stuff for a house show at that time. You weren't thinking that. If you were going to go see the Macho Man main eventing against Yokozuna for the WWF title, you, as a kid, you're kind of thinking the Macho Man's going to win because you wouldn't be seeing him wrestle for the world title unless he was going to win. So you're going to this house show, you're seeing this match and you don't know what's going to happen because as far as you know, you've been watching the macho man just as a commentator for the last few months. And you don't know why you don't know why he's not on television the way he was just a year prior. And as the world champ just a year prior. So it's just, it's, it's fascinating how, they ran the house show business back then and how they've alienated the house show business now. And they don't think it's essential because it really is. And I would sit there and watch house show footage and these face to face interviews and anything else that has to do with house shows. I've watched them. We talked about fan cams. I've watched the fan cam shows. They're just different and they're natural and it's real crowds. It's not any kind of canned sound. It's not a television studio. It's not a television manipulated uh, audience and like how they have it now with their thunderdome with the over-the-top screaming that they pipe in for these promos and these matches is just so unnatural and these shows you watch these house show uh fan cams are as natural as natural is going to get because there is no hiding the the booze the cheers the cursing the music, the announcer, the, you know, the jaw jacking uh, that the fans have at the wrestlers. I mean, it's such a cool thing that if you're looking for something to watch and you want something that's just in your wheelhouse and something you can actually enjoy, because isn't that the point? If you're watching something like wrestling, it's an escape. You don't want to hear about the the bullshit of the world, the politics, and you know, all the social justice stuff. And it's making its way into, into recent television. So go backwards, go back to the new generation years, look up face to face, look up the fan cams and, and enjoy. And that's what it's all about. And if I can introduce that to you, it's even better. Cause that's what I wanted to do with this show. Uh, when I came up with the concept, uh, but yeah, just scrolling through these face to face things. I mean, it's such a time capsule and it's so great. There's so many out there, but if you also come across superstars, and I haven't really kept track of what they're uploading to peacock, um, I don't believe they did many of them on Monday Night Raw. There might be a couple sprinkled in, but if they have Superstars content on Peacock or you have them in your collection somewhere, just go back and find those Superstars and challenge, and maybe sometimes a WWF Mania or an All American Wrestling, and watch some of these things because I'm telling you, you will absolutely enjoy the the hell out of them. They are, are quick watches. You know the segments are really quick, um, in and out. And it's all you need to know. You need to know where the show is. You need to know what the match is. And as uh, as Austin would say down the road, that's the bottom line. Uh, but let me just talk about quickly here uh, these these solo shows. Not that I try to rush them, but I think it's hard to listen to me for 30 minutes. So uh, I want to move just into the, uh, the future topics we have coming up here. Uh, we're going to look at the Doink character, but we're going to focus on the Matt Bourne Doink, and that is <laughs> toggled my brain uh, from our conversation with Adam Hughes, Hughesy, a couple weeks ago, when he brought up uh, the Bulldog and Doink match that didn't happen at WrestleMania Nine. Just got me thinking more about Doink and how that character was so abstract and so evil, uh, and how it became so comical and kind of a joke where uh, if, if maybe if you fast-forward 25 years and you get to this era here, maybe that Matt Bourne doink is what The Fiend was on television over the last two years or however long The Fiend has been around. So it's kind of funny. I want to dig into that, and I have a guest on to talk about it and kind of get their thoughts about doink. Uh, is it a joke? Is it a goof? Is it maybe a, a sinister character that doesn't get the respect it should? Or was Matt Bourne just kind of uh, loco? Was he just a little crazy? And that's why the character was so special. Uh, but Doink, I-, I feel like especially in the Matt Bourne era, it gets a bad rap. It's it's definitely an innovative idea. Uh, execution was so key to the early stages. And then obviously down the road, it would just completely uh, fall off the rails. It would become a joke, comedy character. And uh, really, they, they kind of wiped the, the slate clean with Doink and it would just become your local independent federations uh, go to, to throw a star on their poster for many years to come. I think still there are some Indies that advertise Doink and I don't know how in God's name, that is uh, any bit of a draw uh, knowing what we know about the Doink character being uh, licensed and uh, or not licensed, just flat out stolen from those who played them. and, uh, And also, the, uh, the WWF's uh, copyright. I don't know how you can get a doink if there's no copyright uh, agreement with WWE, but I digress. This is not law school or law class. So we're not going to go into that. Uh, Also, we're going to look at the undertaker in the new generation. Uh, We've glanced over the undertaker a few times. Uh, We have talked about a couple things. He's done. We talked about the, uh, the Paul bearer turn specifically, Uh, But let's just look at Undertaker as a whole for the new generation. Was it a good uh, couple of years? Did he hit his stride? Or was this kind of the uh, maybe two early stages of the dead man? By the time the new generation ends in early 97, he's about poised to win the second world title. But he goes very quiet uh, for a few years. And he's in big feuds, but they're not the top feuds. They're not the main event feuds. And uh, what does that do to his legacy? Did it hurt it for a little while? Does it kind of start for some fans past a certain point? Uh, But you know what? We talk about the Undertaker being in the big five of the new generation stars, the Diesel, Brett, Razor, Shawn Michaels, and Undertaker. Talk about them as the five. Well, let's focus on the Undertaker. And he gets so much love now uh, from the fans and from the the superstars that I think uh, deserves a little bit of a deeper look for the time of 1993 January to about March 97. So that's also uh, later to come. And I have a few house show cards picked out that I'd like to go over. Maybe it might take one or two shows to go over some of the house shows. Uh, but definitely if, if anybody, uh, you know, is listening that's been to a house show in those, the new generation years, I'd love to hear from you because um, I, my two things I love about the house shows, finding out what the card was, finding out what the merchandise was. It's all about the merch. Uh, and we have another merch episode that'll be coming a little bit down the road as well. Not uh, going to kind of stick on it like I did for a few weeks, but uh, it always deserves a spotlight because the merchandise is so hot right now. And for any vintage stuff, you can't keep it hammered down. You can't, get, you, you can't glue it underneath uh, a stack of bricks. It, it's going to sell. It's going to go. If somebody finds something in their basement, they're flipping it for hundreds of dollars and it's like kind of getting out of control. So we'll dial back to, uh, to the merch, but my main focus is really doing something about doink the undertaker and a few of these house show cards that, uh, I found over the last few weeks. And, uh, again, love hearing from anybody who went to house shows during this era because, um, (laughs) you were in a very small group. The attendance figures were low, uh not even selling out the garden all the time during this era which is shocking because there would be so many consecutive sellouts both before and after the new generation that it's like wow the wwf couldn't sell out madison square garden it's like geez what the heck was wrong with the world that that seems like that should have been an automatic every single time but it wasn't and we've gone over cards from the garden but uh these are going to be from other venues not the garden Uh, And those are almost uh, as much fun as anything because, man, there are some random collections of matches. There are some random venues that we've all never heard of that we're going to uh, we're going to look up. We're going to chat about them, read the results and see uh, if it's a show maybe we would have liked to have gone to. But that is for uh, a few weeks down the road. And uh, I think it's going to be a great time. Uh, But that's me talking. I'm the one who thought of it. So, of course, I'd be a little biased. All right. Well, as we get to say goodbye here on New Generation Declassified, I uh, appreciate all the listens. I appreciate all the feedback and keep those cards and letters safely rolling in. Uh, If you want to follow me anywhere in the social media universes, it's at Chad EMB. If you want to go to my website, it is IBExclusives.com. You can find out what's going on with my signings there. Uh, if you want to follow anything with the TMPT empire, it is TMPT and anything involving the Russo brand and the TMPT empire. It's Russo's to include the wonderful, highly acclaimed triple threat podcast with the franchise, Shane Douglas, my partner, John Paz and myself uh, rapping every week with the franchise about anything and everything, doing a lot of the current events, but also the marquee, bit of the uh the triple threat podcast the, this week in franchise history if you are a brand member and you heard uh the show or you if you heard the show from two weeks ago uh you know we uh we or in a few weeks back we we just passed the time that wcw closed uh in the franchise timeline um uh, but this week coming up we've got a pretty cool one as well Uh, that Shane has got a lot to say about. So if you're a brand member, come over and listen. If not, check it out, russo'sbrand.com. And for me, one more show, I have the Queen of Extreme Francine. Eyes up here, Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Francine podcast. A myriad of things going on over there. Watch-alongs, games, guests, uh, the whole nine yards. It's it's a fun time, a lot of laughs, and uh, some really cool ECW talk. So come check us out on patreon or also on the creative control network so that's enough out of me i appreciate everybody for tuning in and let's gear up for a power packed couple of weeks of shows we are going to talk doink we're going to talk the undertaker we're going to talk house shows and you never know what else might pop in in between uh because i like to throw some curveballs like that so for uh, nobody else because i'm by myself uh this is your old buddy the chadster and we will catch you on the flip side